Welcome to the HR Heroes podcast, where we bring you the latest information to help business owners, entrepreneurs, and managers manage their team through COVID-19 and beyond. Listen in as we share leading edge information with experts across a variety of fields, from HR to legal, from negotiation to mental health, and so much more to help you not just survive, but thrive through the pandemic. And here now is your host, Natasha Hawker. Derek Gaunt is a lecturer, author of Ego Authority Failure, and a trainer with 29 years of law enforcement experience, 20 of which has been as a team member, leader, and then commander of hostage negotiation teams in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. As a member of the Black Swan Group, he is a negotiation trainer and a personal coach. His training has helped leaders and their organisations increase their performance by changing the way they think about communicating one person to another. Welcome, Derek. I have to say that I am so excited to uh, interview you today and for you to spend some time with us. And you are calling at late at night. I think it's about 10 o'clock your time. So I am super grateful that you stayed up so late for me all the way from the USA. Welcome, Derek. Thank you very much for having me. I wouldn't have done it for anybody but you. So. <laughs> uh, that's why we get on so well. So I wanted to share a little bit about how we know each other and uh, a little bit around how I think you're going to help people. And we're going to make this super practical. Um, but the first training session I ever had with uh, Derek was over Zoom. And we did a role play uh, where he was the bank robber with hostages and I was actually the hostage negotiator. Now, let me say Derek did not take any prisoners. He was not very nice to me on that first call. Uh, but I did what most people do in a negotiation. I froze. I gave him everything that I wasn't supposed to give him. Um, but if we change tact, and the reason why I wanted to set the scene here is over the last couple of weeks, all over the world, but you know, particularly in Australia, it's been a bloodbath for employers losing their businesses overnight or massively having to total reconfi- totally reconfigure their businesses to continue to trade. For mm-hmm. employees, and there are so many, Derek, they've literally had a job one day and then lost it the next through no fault yeah. of their own. They're devastated, they're desperate, they're worried for their future. And the reason why I asked you to join us is, or Derek to join us, is that I believe you're a master negotiator, or I know you are. And for many of you now, you will be negotiating at every single turn, whether it's to get a rent holiday, a mortgage break, extended terms with your suppliers, or to get your team to take annual leave or long service leave. This is a skill that I truly, truly believe can be the difference between survival or failure for you. So having trained with Derek, I now get what I want so much more than I used to. Um, And the money that I spent uh, on training with Derek is absolutely the best ROI I've ever received. So without further ado, Derek, tell me about you. How did you end up where you are today? Uh, It's an interesting story. I, I started my career in law enforcement in 1988. I became a hostage negotiator in 1997. Uh, When I was promoted to sergeant, I became team leader in 2001, and then I was promoted to lieutenant. And I took command of the team from 2004 until I actually left uh, the police service in 2017. So I spent the better part of my adult life using skills to influence the behavior of other people to get them to move in the direction that I wanted to go. Now, during that time is when I met Chris Voss, author of Never Split the Difference, 
CEO and founder for the Black Swan Group. Uh, he and I met in 2001. We became fast friends. And once he left the Bureau, the FBI, in um, 2007, he brought me on board a couple of years later, and we haven't looked back. It's allowed us the opportunity to travel all over the globe, um, teaching hostage negotiation practices and principles to the business world. Because at the end of the day, while the stakes may be different, they're still difficult conversations. And since our techniques are based on the human nature response, they're applicable in every corner of the globe. They because certainly are. Humans so, occupy every corner of the globe. They do. They do. And tell me, Derek, what do you love about what you do? Uh, well, first of all, I, I, eat, I get to meet a lot of interesting people, such as yourself. Um, I'm constantly evolving and learning based on my interactions with uh, the clients that I coach. And I've always gotten a charge. I've always gotten excited about making people better. It started probably when I took over team leadership responsibility for my hostage negotiation team because I started to uh, move from being an operating negotiator to a manager, uh, which involved a lot of mentoring, a lot of guiding, and a lot of teaching. And I've always, I've always felt that um, it's incumbent upon you when you're in that position to, to bring those that are under your charge uh, alongside you so that you can increase their proficiency and make them better so that they can one day take your job. So obviously working with people, it can be pretty intense. Tell me, obviously life as a, a negotiator, a police negotiator is pretty hardcore at times. What situation stands out most in your mind or where did you learn the most in a situation where you were negotiating in pretty tough circumstances? Uh, wow. What, there was one incident that I captured in the book that stands out in my mind as a, uh, a, a very salient moment in my negotiations career. Uh, and that was an event where uh, an individual in violation of a court order absconded with his natural born son uh, and took him home. Basically, it's my son. I'm his father. He's coming home with me. The problem was he was violating a court order. So it, it was tantamount to a kidnapping. And uh, the dynamics that came to play in the management of this event was something that I had not seen before. Uh, ego and authority got in the way of decision making. Ego and authority are an emotion. And they're usually negative emotions and negative emotions impact decision-making and behavior in a negative fashion. We know that that's the case, you know, no matter where you go or who you talk to. And um, when they reared their ugly heads during the management of this incident, uh, there were people, decision-makers, who were contemplating uh, conducting an action that was going to risk the safety of everybody involved simply because... Um, their ego and authority told them that uh, the behavior exhibited by the hostage taker was contemptuous and they were not going to be left to feel that way by somebody who was uh, not law enforcement. Mm. And as a result, um, we were really contemplating an action that was a life and death decision mm. because somebody's ego and authority had gotten in the way. And that was a, a, an eye-opening experience for me because I had heard of the concept, 
of the action imperative, which is that pressure from above to change the dynamics of the event because it's not moving fast enough for some Get a people. result. Yeah. And uh, when it was first relayed to me in the early 2000s, I thought it was just a theory. And then I saw it play out in one actual event. And I, I was shocked. shocked. I was disappointed. I was dismayed. Um, at the end of the day, the contemplated action was not executed. But the fact that they were even thinking about doing it and they were putting the pieces in place to actually execute uh, really, uh, really rattled my cage. So what did you take from that experience? What was the main learning for you? The main learning for me is that uh, ego and emotion are, are, are negative dynamics that if you don't hold them in check, if you're not recognized, if you don't recognize them, if you're not self-aware, they can run amok and they will guide you to the precipice of a cliff. And before you know it, you're stepping off and you're going to commit an action you're going to make a statement and the damage is going to be irreparable. And I remember you and I talking about this a lot, whether, and I'm, it wasn't part of my planned question, but I do want to go there. And we chatted a lot about whether this negotiation technique is more, it's easier for a woman to pick it up than a man. You know, when we talk about ego, um, mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about your thoughts. Cause I know everyone can pick it up, but it does require, a certain approach, which not everyone can do. We attach ourselves and we try to uh, build, for lack of a better term, high-performing negotiators, whether they're male or female. It just so happens that, uh, and I don't think it's by coincidence, that the top three negotiators on my team in law enforcement, and I had 15 people on the team, the top three were all women. Mm. And, um, and, and most people wouldn't recognize that even as often a career for a woman. Let's be honest. No, I mean, historically, law enforcement had, has been a male-dominated society, and there were women that, that broke that ceiling, uh, at least in the States back in the early 1970s. Uh, but law enforcement people mm-hmm. are A-types. Hostage negotiators, anybody with a specialization within law enforcement are A-types of the A-types. Yeah. And so historically, uh, people have not viewed women as possessing the intestinal fortitude to become those type of A-type of people. But the reality is, I have found women to be more open-minded when discussing and executing these skills and less afraid of failure. They're, they're not worried about embarrassment, where many of the men have been worried about embarrassment and therefore they won't go out and execute as we tell them to execute. Yeah. Where on the other hand, the women will go out and execute exactly how we tell them to execute and they're not afraid of failure. So they throw caution to the wind and they wind up meeting with more success. And, and that's just in, in my world. Mm. Uh, and so if I have a gun to my head or I'm in Las Vegas placing a bet and I've got two people of equal experience, both trained in the same skill set. If I have to make a decision, I'm going to default towards the woman because I've had more success with them. 
Mm, that's amazing. I love hearing that. And I think our female listeners will hear that. But I think it's a great school and we're going to get into that. Um, so let's change tact a minute um, because obviously you're an international guest for us. What are you seeing in the US at the moment? And obviously it is absolutely horrific, some of the stuff that's happening around the world at the moment. Um, yeah. In particular around how business owners are managing in the devastating circumstances they're finding themselves in. Oh, fear is running rampant. They're, they're faced with, um, they're faced with the uncertainty. And that's, that's what's the biggest driver of fear. The, the, the fear of the risk of loss is the single biggest driver in human decision-making and by extension behavior. And it's running rampant here because as we spoke offline, they, there's no light at the end of the tunnel yet. And so that uncertainty is leading people to, uh, you know, as you mentioned earlier, leading it's leading people to uh, want to cancel their services. It's mm. leading people to want to stop paying on contracts or getting out of contracts altogether, and 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 people are afraid that, uh, you know, they're, they're that this is going to destroy them. It's going to destroy their business, and and so they're angry, they're frustrated, they're they're afraid, and so. Business owners, employees need to know that everything in today's climate is rife with bad news. Mm. And the bad news generates negative emotions. And you have to be in this day and age hyper aggressive in identifying those negatives when you go into a conversation where you know bad news is going to be exchanged. And that's the environment that we find ourselves in now in the States. And I'm, I'm confident that it's going on worldwide. Uh, you're right there. So what, in your view, Derek, would being able to negotiate more effectively do for a business owner or a manager, particularly at this point in time, if they were able to build this skill, even at a basic level? At, at, at a basic level, and that's really all you need at this time, because we're talking about survival. So we're talking about uh, this, this is going to be more direct conversation than you and I talked about when we were coaching. Mm -hmm. This is not going to be you know, you look like, you seem like, you sound like you're angry. This is where we're going to hit them right between the eyes saying, I know that you're angry. I know that you are afraid. When you go to engage them in a conversation, instead of saying, uh, you know, is now a bad time to talk, which is what you and I talked about yes. when we were together, we jump right into it with, what have I caught you in the middle of? Because I mm -hmm. guarantee you that anybody that you engage at this point in time, under these circumstances, it's a bad time for them to talk. Mm. They've got other things that they could be doing other than talking to you. So we just simply throw it out. What have I caught you in the middle of? Mm. And it, it notice that it's not, how are you? Yeah. And, or how's it going? You're, Cause you're, it's crap. Yeah. It's crap everywhere. <laughs> and you're demonstrating your awareness of that. You're demonstrating your understanding of that simply by saying, what have I caught you in the middle of? And then laying it out for them. I know you're afraid. I know you're scared. I know you're frustrated. I know that you think these times are going to destroy you and everything that you've built. And what does that do, Derek, when you, because, you know, Australians can have a bit of that more English reserve tendency. And, and one of the things I'd love you to just catch on or touch on here is 
you know, this is universal. It doesn't matter where you do it. It actually still works because of that human piece. But, um, you know, it, it, what does it do when you put it there so bluntly? Um, what's the reaction generally from the person you're talking to? The reaction is relief because by and large, you are identifying dynamics that they have not yet spoken. And how more attuned do you appear to an individual when you demonstrate that you understand what they're going through and they have not said anything? They've not told you that they're angry. They've not told you that they're scared. They've not told you that they're worried about whether these times are going to destroy them and everything that they've built. But you know that's probably what they're thinking. And so it is a fearless way for you to attack the negatives that are likely in the head of the other person. And what you're doing is making them smarter. Mm. your brain works 31% better when you're in a positive state. And at some point during the conversation, you're going to have to explain to them, this is what it's going to look like going forward. And you want them to be cognitively nimble enough to pick that up. Mm. And as long as there are negative emotions bouncing around in their head that you have not identified, they're not going to be able to hear you. Mm. That's amazing. So I'd love to make this super practical for our listeners. Say, um, and many business owners are doing this at the moment, say we needed our landlords to give us a rental holiday, you know, a break from paying the rent or a discounted rent rate. How could we make this happen or give ourselves the best chance of negotiating better terms in that scenario? How, you know, what sort of setup framework would we use? So the, the setup and framework I started to allude to uh, earlier your opening. What have I caught you in the middle of, Mr. Landlord? Because he's not only dealing, now he's got a, a person on the phone who's obviously about to ask him something. So what have I caught you in the middle of? And then the attack on the negatives as you think they are. I know you're frustrated right now. You're probably angry. You're, you, 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 you're afraid. Uh, this is not going very well for you and you're afraid that you're going to start losing money when it comes to rent. And I would let that sit. The next step that I would take is to summarize the relationship. How long have you been a tenant with him? How long have you paid on time? How many times have you caused him problems? And the answer to that, if it's, if it's minimal, that those are things that you want to highlight. So you want to summarize the relationship from the time it began up until the point in the present where you are right now to the point of whatever drove you to the phone, whatever drove you to his or her office. So you're summarizing the relationship from the beginning to the present. And then I would a what and a how question. Mm -hmm. First of all, I'm going to ask a no oriented question to set that up. Does it make me a bad person to ask a candid question? Love it. The no oriented question protects the autonomy of the other side. They don't feel like you're driving for a yes. People are so yes addicted and so yes battered that they can feel when somebody is trying to drive them down the highway towards a yes. And it takes away their autonomy. A no oriented question doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. So does it make me a bad person to ask a candid question? And then I would follow on with my first how question. How do we work our way through these trying times without destroying each other 
and we leave ourselves in a position to pick up the pieces when this thing finally blows over. Mm. You're, you're asking them for, for their vision. Now you're, you're trying to shape their thought. You're, you're, you're trying to put them in problem-solving mode along with you. Mm. And then the what question. Now, let me back up. When we talk about the how question, whatever response that you get from that question, you're going to want to label it. It looks like it seems like it sounds like. You're going to want to mirror it where you repeat back the last one to three words, or you can simply give a paraphrase. So what you said so far is this, and as a result, you feel that. Mm-hmm. And then follow it on with a what question. The what and how question are thought-shaping questions. They're not questions to drive out information. They're questions to shape the thought of the other person. What can we agree to as we work our way through this crisis? Are you against considering a different payment plan going forward? Now, I know a little bit more about this, but if as I'm listening to your voice, mm-hmm. you're slow and you're considered and there's plenty of time in it. Is that deliberate? It is deliberate. Mm. Your, your tone, your cadence is more important than what you're actually saying. Mm. So your, your projected sincerity, your genuineness, is is more valuable than any of the content of your message. Mm-hmm. You need to remove yourself as a threat. They're already being threatened from all corners of their world at this point. They don't need another one mm-hmm. from you coming in with a rapid fire delivery of, of these questions. And so it's very deliberate that you slow down and you ask the questions in this fashion. And Again, what are you trying to do? You're trying to mitigate the negatives on the other side. In an instant, you're trying to get them to like you. Mm. And one of the first ways that people determine whether or not they like you is how you present yourself. Mm. People are six times more likely to agree with your position if they like you, based on no other criteria whatsoever. Anybody anywhere on the planet would do anything that you ask if they felt like it. Your tone of voice goes a long way into helping them feel like it. So back to our scenario, we've asked them what and how questions. What next? Okay, so that what question is very important. What can we agree to as we work our way through this crisis? You want to see what their vision is. Everybody's got a vision on how this thing is going to play out. You know what you want, which in this scenario is a reduction in rent. Is that even in that person's frame of thought? That's what you want to find out. So you're going to ask, what can we agree to as we work our way through this crisis? That's going to tell you what his or her vision is of the immediate future going forward. Then you can compare and contrast to how does that line up to what I thought? And then... You ask a no-oriented question, would it be a bad idea if I explained to you what I was thinking? Great question. And now it is your turn to lay out your data, information, and circumstances that supports your position of asking for a reduction in rent. And so um, you're asking permission, you lay it out, and and you simply ask, what about that doesn't work for you? 
and that will provide you an opportunity to uh, fill any holes, concerns, etc. Mm -hmm. Now, this is not something that you should go into um, without a significant amount of preparation. Absolutely. And your preparation, there's a there's a um, there's a an acronym that I like to use. You know, I'm from law enforcement. We love acronyms. And the acronym is, is CAVIAR. This is something that we didn't have when you and I were together. CAVIAR, C-A-V-I-A-A-R. Mm. And the C stands for curiosity. Stay genuinely curious in the conversation. If you stay curious in the conversation, you won't get triggered. If you really want to know what's demonstrate or what's motivating the behavior or the statement of the other person, stay genuinely curious. Get triggered? Yeah. You know you're going to get attacked. And for those of you who are listening, she just hit me with a mirror there. <laughs> and she did an upward inflection and she turned the mirror into a question. She and the Australians are so good at upward inflections because every sentence we have is an upward reflection. reflection. So, bravo. <laughs> Very good execution. And, and so the, the A in caviar stands for accept. Accept the fact that you're going to get attacked. You're going to get attacked at some point during the conversation. You don't know where it's going to come from. It's going to come from out of nowhere, and it's not going to make a lot of sense. Your job is to hold on for 45 seconds to a minute, absorb the attack, apologize for the offense that you caused, but don't attack back. And one of the one of the best ways to not attack back is to remember the C that preceded it. Stay curious. It's hard to be angry and curious at the same time. They can, your brain cannot function that way. So stay curious. Accept the fact you're going to get attacked, and you won't attack back. The V stands for vent, and that just means, as I like to say, dump your bucket. Find a trusted confidant and tell them the good, the bad, the ugly about the upcoming conversation. The more you say it outside of the room or the conversation, the less likely it's going to rear its head once you get into the room. The I stands for identify. Identify your counterpart's negotiator personality type. Are they assertive? Are they an analyst? Are they an accommodator? And which one are you? Where do you need to borrow from to make yourself more well-rounded? The AA stands for accusations audit. Accusations audits are those uh, preemptive negative labels or preemptive labels that you use to address the negative. Saying something similar to what I mentioned earlier. I know you're afraid. I know you're angry. I know you're scared. Those are all accusations audits. And then remember is the R. Remember that your counterpart is not the adversary. The adversary is whatever the issue is. The adversary is COVID-19. The adversary is, I lost my job and I'm going to be struggling to pay rent. Help your counterpart become a teammate in a problem-solving venture and bring them alongside you to help you address the adversary. Mm. That's just a quick way to Remember how to prep yourself before you actually go into the conversation. It's often you get even better than what you were anticipating you were going to get, you know, just by shutting up. Sometimes they actually don't want to be as tough on you as you imagine they did. Have you found that? 
Yeah, and it's interesting because what we're demonstrating here is what we call tactical empathy. And one of the best characteristics of tactical empathy is that it encourages reciprocity. Because you first demonstrated it for them, they're increasingly likely to demonstrate for you when you finally get to your ask. And this is why you don't go in slamming your hand on the table and saying, I need you to give me a rent reduction. You know what's going on around the world. Everybody's losing their job. I've just lost mine. You need to do your part in helping us out. Mm. It's not going to go over very well. No. But if you go in gently talking about the negatives as the other side sees them, you're laying out a tactical empathy stepping stone as you make your, your way across this riverbed or this creek towards their side. Mm -hmm. And once you get there, they're more likely to give you exactly what you're wanting or, and you're, as you brought up something better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you got to be listening for that. Don't be mm -hmm. so sure about what you want, that you wouldn't take something better. And I think the other thing I loved learning was don't ever underestimate somebody's willingness and desire to correct you. Do you yeah. want to share a little bit about that? That's, that's one of our laws of negotiation gravity. The, uh, the desire to correct is irresistible. People can't wait to tell you how wrong you are. I'm continually amazed at how people, how much information people will give out that they probably shouldn't give out in order to correct you because the correction feels so good, they'll take whatever consequences come for releasing the information. In mm -hmm. fact, there's a, there's a skill that we call a mislabel where we will intentionally mislabel a dynamic or a circumstance just to get corrected by the other side because in that correction comes absolute truth. The floodgates of truth get opened up with a mislabel because they are supposed to be, uh, they, are, they are infatuated with uh, being able to correct you, being, tell you, being able to tell you you're not as smart as you think you are. Yeah. Yep. And then Love all it. of a sudden, they've given away keys to the kingdom. Derek, we've covered a lot of content, so we're going to take a short break, and you can hear more about how to get paid in advance and upfront in our next negotiation episode. I think now would be a really good time just to pause the podcast for a moment. There are so many people suffering in the world from COVID-19, but because of you, wherever or whenever you decided to listen to HR Heroes, you have changed the world for the better. Through our lifetime membership of B1G1, for every download we get, you are helping Indigenous kids to get access to an Outback IT learning hub to improve their English and IT skills, creating the employees of the future. You've been listening to the HR Heroes podcast with Natasha Walker. And if you would like access to the episode notes and other resources, or to find subscription options, you can find us at employeematters.com.au forward slash podcast. The HR Heroes podcast is proud to be lifetime members of B1G1.